0: Well, good morning. morning. It is a privilege to get to open the Word of God with you today. Um, We're going to be continuing our series in 1 Peter, Living for What Lasts. We know that the only thing that lasts is the kingdom of God and the work that we do um, in advancing His kingdom here on earth. Those are the things that last. But before we dive in, Let's stop and pray and ask the Lord's blessing. God, you are beautiful. We love you. God, I pray that you would glorify yourself today in speaking to our hearts, convicting us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God, I pray that if there's someone here who doesn't know you, you would reveal yourself to them as beautiful and they would put their faith and trust in you today. God, we need you to speak to us, because without that, Lord, we are hopeless. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week in our text, we were commanded to live in holiness as an overflow of what Jesus has done for us, as an overflow of the gospel. And today, we're going to see what mature faith looks like, how we are to mature in our faith. And our passage this morning, everything's about the Word of God. By obedience to the truth is what we're going to see. That obedience to the truth is obedience to the Word of God. That's what purifies us. That's putting our faith and trust in Jesus. The Word um, is the thing that will last forever. And the Word is how we mature leaving these immature things of our former life behind and walking in the deeper things. And everybody wants the deeper things to be some hidden wisdom, like what Paul is uh, rebuking the, fir- the, the church in 1 Corinthians of. We, we all want something else. But we're told what the deeper things are. It's walking in love. That's the challenge, that's the command for us today, is that we would walk in love. So let's, as we do every week, the what is true and what to do. What is true is just the 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 truth that's driving everything we say that, that comes from the text. And then the what to do is what do you do with that? So the first, what is true? God's desire for all believers is that we would grow in maturity and that we would grow in maturity by being in the Word. So what do we do with that? Simple. Get in the Bible. Get in the Word. So let's read our text together and see what, it, see what God has to say to us. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for a sincere, a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is good news, is the good news that was preached to you. So, Put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that you would grow up in salvation if indeed you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of His Word. So, the... The first thing that we're going to look at is in verses 22 through 23, and we're going to see that the word transforms. So if you look back at verse 22, what does this word purify? What, what does purifying our soul mean? What, what is that talking about that? Is, that? is that our actions? Well, if that's the conclusion you come to, that it just can't be, Certain, the, certainly not, because that would, put us, that would put our interpretation at odds with the preaching of Jesus Christ as well as what Peter has already preached to us, that we are saved by the gospel, by faith, not by works. Your soul is purified because you've believed in the truth of the word. Your soul is purified because you've obediently submitted your life to the truth of the word, to, to the king in the word, to, to the gospel message. This Belief and submission to Christ is salvation, and that is how our souls are purified. One of my favorite illustrations on the the filth of the human soul I think comes from Chuck Swindoll. Jordan tells me every time I give the illustration I give credit to somebody else, but I think it's Chuck Swindoll. Um, And it goes like this. If sin were blue, I'd be blue all over. If you looked into my mind, you would see thoughts filled with hate and malice. If you cut into my heart, you would find lust and greed pumping through it. If you looked into my soul, you would see the blue stain of sin everywhere. We've been born into sin. We're all totally affected by sin. Romans 3.23 tells us that, All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. If sin were blue, we would be blue all over. Because of the fall, we are totally affected. Now, I'm not all saying we're as bad as we possibly could be, because I can think about how I could be a lot worse. But I'm totally and deeply affected by that sin nature. When, When you submit to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, He comes and He purifies your soul. He removes that stain of sin before the eyes of God. Now, we still have the sinful nature, right? Because if you're a believer, you know you still sin. And if you don't acknowledge that you're still sinning, you're probably sinning about lying to yourself about sinning, right? We still have that sin nature, but we've been given a new nature. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells us. And when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sin. Instead, he sees us in the righteousness of the Son of God. We've been purified. And when you think about this, this, this idea of purification, when, when God, when, when the Spirit comes into you, we are given the actual, the actual righteousness of the Son of God. It's a gift. It's given to us. Um, Jesus clothes us with white robes. It talks about that in the New Testament. And this, this clothing with a white robe, it represents his righteousness and his purity being given and being, being put on us. Uh, Ephesians 5.25, one of my favorite passages, talks about it like this. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her, By the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or for the illustration, without stain or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. On that day of judgment, we're all going to stand before the Lord, and you're either going to stand before him stained by sin or standing in the righteousness given by Jesus Christ. And if you want that righteousness, Jesus says, come to me today. Put your faith and trust in me today. Confess your sins, repent. And on that day, he will present you as holy and without blemish. So the the word is the transformative power. It brings the transformative power of the cross that will change lives. And only through the power of Christ can we love like what is presented here when we are walking in holiness as commanded in in 1 Peter 1.15. That not only are we called to holiness, but we're called to love. Those things go together. There, there's no... Like, I'm holy, but I'm not loving. That's not a thing. Holiness and love are connected. Part of... God's personality, part of his attributes is that he's loving. God is love. God is holy. And we are to walk in holiness and we are to walk in love. Look at your text again. It will be on the screen. Having purified your soul by your obedience to the truth, we define that as as the word, the, the story told of the gospel, for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Believers in God are redeemed from that empty old life. We're redeemed from any guilt in our past, but we're we're redeemed to do something. We are bound to the Lord, and we are bound to one another. The call to love one another is grounded in God's previous commandments to walk in holiness. God's word transforms us, it cleanses us, and it matures us to walk in this life of love. This love here is presented, it's the Greek, it's this familial love. And we translate it here as brotherly love. You know, the city of Philadelphia, it's the Greek word. It means brotherly love. That's the word being used here. And we are to treat all believers in the household of faith with the care and affection that you would a family member. Peter says to love is to be sincere and genuine without pretense. This, this is a love that is unwavering from a pure heart and without hypocrisy. Again, what's the, what's the context that this is all being written in? Well, these Christians, for, for loving Jesus were being persecuted whether they were losing their businesses or their homes or they were losing loved ones at the persecution of the romans and the jews and these people had real physical needs they needed places to stay they needed things to eat and he's telling the church treat these people like their family members and love in this situation looked like meeting physical needs but not just that Love for us looks like meeting spiritual needs. Love looks like meeting spiritual needs in prayer. And church, can I help you on how to pray for people? Like if I'm, if I'm praying for one of you, like, God, please be with them. What is that? Intercede. Think about who they are, what they need, what they're going through. Enter, you get to grab a hold of the hem of God, uh, of his garment. You get to approach the throne of God in boldness. And our prayer for one another, and I'm rebuking myself, is God, please be with them. Our God, listen, our God, our God listens, our God hears, and our God knows. Also, we're to speak truth. Love is to speak truth. And how do we speak truth? By building one another up, by proclaiming the glories of God and proclaiming his gospel to one another as believers. That's, that's speaking truth, but also when a brother or sister's in sin, you got to go speak truth in love. Meeting love is meeting physical and spiritual needs. In church, I can say this with all sincerity as I've been here for nine or ten months. I don't know. I'm not counting good. I've been here for a little bit now. I love how you love. And I think the kind of love that I see displayed among this body is what's being praised in this passage. This kind of love that's only taught by God. Because I believe one of the greatest let me rephrase that. I believe the greatest apologetic, the greatest testimony that Jesus is alive, that we believe Jesus is real, is by the way we love one another. I mean, hey, we're going to do, do a stellar job of reaching the world, but we're not going to love one another. What's that do to our testimony? People aren't going to want that. If we fight like cats and dogs in here. Jesus tells us as much in John 13, 34. And he says something like this many times. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I've loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how will the world know that we are his disciples? By our right confessions of faith? Do they care? No. They will know that we are his disciples by the way that we love. The church growth movement creates this. A lot of them, they they have love plastered all over everything, but when you really look into it, you'll find that that love they're calling for is quite hollow. It teaches um, to do all these large events, uh, the pastor has to be clever, more clever from week to week uh, on his series. Um, they, they, if, they're, if they're preaching a series during March Madness, they'll build a, a, a literal basketball stage on the court to draw your attention like somehow that you need somebody to snap at you to make you pay attention. Treating us like children just to draw us to church. You see them raffling cars off, dropping 10,000 eggs at Easter from helicopters and making sermon series that that are based off of movies and trying to tie christian themes to it that stuff's empty now god can use it cuz god can use anything but church let, let me hear me say this i'm not against events but what you draw them with that's how you keep them You'll, you'll have to constantly be doing the next thing, building the next thing, moving to the next thing, instead of what we do being based on the word, based on praising God, and based on love. What happens is that these churches trade their theology for theatrics. And some of you, you've particip- participated in this kind of stuff. And you know how hollow and how exhausting it is. This experience-based culture, that is the theatrics over the theology, it can't hold the weight of life. Sin, suffering, pain. That's why God has given us the body to reach in and to love each other well. To grow each other in maturity. You see, youth, youth that, that, that start in the littles and grow, go all the way through, that go, go to church across all denominations in North America, they leave the church post-graduation at a rate of 80%. And we think, oh, we lost them. We, we, we lost them after uh, high school. No, you never had them. It's because we've built these things on on support systems that can't handle. The only thing that can handle the weight of life is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit. We're not giving them the sustenance of the Word that they need. We are to produce ministries from a place of longing for the Lord in the Word longing for the pure spiritual milk. We are to make disciples. This is, what we're, this is what we're trying to hone everything we're doing around. Making disciples, teaching them all that Jesus commanded. That sounds a lot like somebody, doesn't it? Matthew 28, Jesus says, now go unto all the earth, the preacher, the missionary, the, the smartest guy in the church. No, no. The call is to every man, woman, and child in the church to advance his kingdom by making disciples, teaching all that he's commanded. And we have to be in the word. Our people, your children, your family need the pure spiritual milk of the word or they'll be malnourished. The draw of the church is worshiping the Lord. When God in the Old Testament was asked by Moses who he was, who he is, he defines himself as one who is jealous for his glory. That's what Moses gets, jealous for his glory. And when we take it off anything but the word that's making much of God, we begin to make much of ourselves. He's jealous for his glory. He wants to be communicated to and with. So these ministries that we need to produce, they look real ordinary. And it's beautiful. The ministries that we need to produce look a lot like you finding a brother or sister in Christ who's growing in the Lord, or who's struggling, and y'all make a regular occurrence of waking up before work, finding somebody to, to take your kids where they need to go, and devoting some time in prayer together, or walking somebody through the Word, or teaching a Sunday school class, or allowing a home group, a community group to meet in your home. It looks very ordinary, but at the very ordinary, that's when we start seeing God begin to move. We all watch and know how terrible the world feels when we watch the news, right? It, it feels bad right now. And if we were to produce ministries that were full of, where, where the lost would find, find a community of believers who walk in sincere love for one another that's based on the word and lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit, that's something that would draw people. Not the flashy. And if you're new here, you may not know it, but God has been doing something in this place. Our church has been experiencing dramatic growth and we are trying our best to adapt and follow the leading of the Lord um, as he brings the growth. And it's exciting to be a part of and now you get to be a part of it too. So far this year, we've seen over 30 people baptized. We've seen over 70 people, uh, whether by statement of faith or baptism, join the church. And I love it because it's not at all about what I'm doing. It's what God's doing in you. Of the people I've shared the gospel with, do you know how many of them accepted the Lord? Zero. That means you're sharing the gospel and people are believing of the people I've invited to church, do you know how many of them have joined? Zero. I might need to work on my interpersonal skills, but <laughs> God is moving in you. God is moving in you, doing the ordinary things of loving your neighbor, participating in your schools. And it's, it's been radical, and we've seen God change lives. When... When I get to talk to new believers, or not new believers, I'm sorry, new members, I ask, what made them want to join the church? Normally, I, I get a chance to talk to them, and that's what I'll ask them. And they, more than not, they say, it's because of the loving and inviting nature of the body. Now, it would be nice if more often than not, they said, man, that preacher, no. <laughs> it's better that it's, because of the love of the body. Your love that is overflowing from God to one another and to our community is the apologetic to this place, to China Spring, that Jesus is alive and working in this place by the way that we sincerely love one another. And I talk to you guys, and I know... I love talking and hearing how ambitious you are for the kingdom of God. Whether it's in the high school, or whether it's starting a mission, or whatever it is, you are ambitious for the Lord, and I love it. And we we talk here about God-sized dreams, and if you're new here, a God-sized dream is a dream that's only big enough to happen if God shows up and does it himself. Not, not things that is like, man, I think... I think this guy over here is smart enough. I think we can build something around him. I think if, if it were to happen like that, who gets the glory? We do. And we didn't really have to depend on the Lord. But God-sized dreams are those things that you're dreaming, you're praying about, that can only happen if God does them. And I think we've been seeing many of these God-sized dreams come into reality. And I, I love how Peter, he's constantly bathing us in the gospel as our motivation on why we are to, to operate in holiness and we're to operate in love. Let's look at 33, or thirty three twenty three, 23. And we're going to see born again by the living and abiding word. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. We are to live and love for one another with, with sincerity. And the only way that we can do this is because we are now born again from that living, abiding word of God. Born again is, is one of the ways the New Testament talks about salvation. It's synonymous with salvation. And this, this, this new life can't be earned. Like, we did not earn birth like, we, it just passively happened to us. We, we don't earn our salvation. Jesus Christ earned our salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. And by faith, we are born again. He brings new life into us. We, and we are born of an imperishable seed. And what is this seed to this new transformed life? Peter tells us the living, abiding word of God. Verse 23 tells us three things about this this word. The word of God, it is imperishable, it is living, and it is life-giving. The word of God is imperishable. It's not going anywhere. Jesus tells us as much in Matthew 24, 34. He says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The word is God's gospel message. God's gospel story, which starts, I want, church, I want you to, to put this deep in your heart. The gospel does not start in Matthew, the gospel starts in Genesis 1, and it's the story that God tells about how He's gonna redeem a people all the way through Revelation 22. And for eternity, because of this imperishable word, this imperishable seed, we are going to be celebrating the Lord for this message, for this word. We will celebrate that God planted in our souls his gospel message and that he gave us new life by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he also says the word of God is living. How is the word of God living? It's, I mean, it's just ink on a page. If I drop it, it hits. Oh, so some of Ellie's art fell out. But how, how is it living? It's because... The God of the Word speaks through those words of God. The God of the Word speaks through the Word. God takes something as ordinary as a book and uses it to bring life to us. He uses it to change societies, to topple pagan kingdoms. And this this is the Word that changed you. And if you think you were changed by something else, you weren't changed. You were changed by the Word. And this Word is powerful enough to change societies. It was powerful enough to change you. And it's powerful enough to change your family, to change your friends, and to change your neighbors. It's powerful enough to change the world. The Word of God has the power to change if we take it to them. I love Romans 10, 14. How will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in, whom, uh, in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless, some, in, unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Church, if you were honest with yourself, would you say that your feet are beautiful? Would, would you say that God would look at your life and declare your feet to be beautiful because you've taken his gospel message? And if you can't say amen, you gotta say ouch. Because I know that I get caught up in all the stuff and I put that thing aside. But we know that the only way under heaven and earth that someone is saved is by the word of God being preached. And we... If this is something you believe, if you believe that the word of God is living and that the word of God brings life, if you believe it's true, then this thing will dictate how you live. As believers, we're not only should be compelled, but we are commanded by Jesus to share our faith. These are the literal last words of Jesus. Jesus is, is, this is uh, Acts 1.8. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven on a cloud. He's been on earth for 40 days after he rose from the dead, teaching, and this is the last thing he tells them, and this needs to be the first thing that we do. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's when you become a believer, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Is Jesus asking you to be a witness? No, he's commanding you to be a witness. The way that he says assumes that you will be a witness. We are to be a witness. We are to be a part of telling the story because this story is the way that he's chosen to advance his kingdom. And if you don't feel adequately prepared to be a witness, in September, we, we're relaunching our, life, our, our community groups and in these community groups, the first study that we're going to do is a three circle study, and what that is is evangelism training it's the The goal is to come alongside you and equip you to 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 live out your calling with your with your friends and with your families, where you live, work, and play so we've we've been doing who's your one and Lord will, and you've been praying for that one for the last year and if they haven't come to Christ, now we're going to put tools in your hand for you to go and share with them. So let's look now at verses 24 through 25. The word of God will remain. All flesh is like the grass and all its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And... This word is, good, is the good news that was preached to you. The word of God will not change. And this is the very same word of God that was preached to us, that changed us. Peter emphasizes his point by quoting Isaiah 47, not 47, 40, we need two dots, seven. And he says, um, people are like grass. Like we're here today, gone to my- look at the grass outside, that grass is withered and all of our glory and all of our good works are like the the petals on a flower like roses that drop like the, the 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 bloom only lasts for a couple of days that's our good that's all of our all of our good works life is fleeting but the words of life last forever this word it was preached to you and this is the word that's powerful enough to change the world and a lot of reasons I hear people don't share the gospel is that they don't feel like they can change anybody. Like they they don't feel like it would matter if they shared. They don't feel like that's something they could do. And hey, spoiler alert, you can't. You can't change nobody. If you could change somebody, you would be the one getting the glory for that. When I was uh, in seminary, or college, college and seminary was in the same, it was a weird place we went to school, but uh, it, uh, I, I was going every day, multiple times a week, whether it was to the mall or door-to-door or downtown, and I was sharing the gospel with people, and for the longest time, I never saw anyone come to Christ. I mean, a l- very long time, and I would go home every night, and I would just lay in bed, and I'd just feel Just broken. Like, because of me, they were going to hell. Because I didn't share the gospel well enough, they were going to hell. Because I didn't know the right apologetic. And I just felt this rebuke of the Lord on me that my heart was both ill-informed and arrogant. It's arrogance to believe that, that somehow we can change somebody. All we can do is present the message. God made salvation such that it's all about God and not about us. If you were smart enough to lead somebody to Jesus, you would get the, get the glory that they were saved. It would be about your power and about your intellect and about your wisdom. And often, we confuse an individual who is polished for an individual who has power. And I'm one thing that keeps people from sharing the gospel is not feeling like they have all the answers, all the apologetics. I'm going to tell you, I've listened to a lot of apologetic debates. I've been a part of apologetic debates. I've learned the apologetics. And you know what I've never seen once? I've never seen anybody come to Christ because we made some glorious argument for their being a creator. The gospel is the power to save. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are good. Like, um, I think those things operate as stepping stones. Like, oh, yeah. I went from not thinking it made sense that everything came from, from a creator to now I think that makes sense. I mean, it's stepping stone, but that's not what changes somebody. What changes somebody is the, is the, the gospel presentation that Jesus, through his, his life, death, burial, and resurrection, has brought salvation to the world. And that's what I've seen people change by. And I can tell you, this is just, I guess, the Lord humbling me. But more often than not, whenever I see somebody come to faith from a, a, during a sermon, uh, it's at the one that I'm preaching where I'm like, this is bad. Like, I, I'm acknowledging that this is bad right now. And I can see on their face that they acknowledge that this is bad right now. Tell you what, I'm just going to pray and we're going to end this thing. And that's whenever I see the Holy Spirit move on somebody often. He's using my weakness. He's using folly so that I don't think, that I, I don't think it's, it's something in me, in my ability to speak or think, because it's all about him. You i know, often in my personal evangelism uh, encounters the, where I'm stepping all over my tongue, and it's like, all right, this guy's ready to be out of this conversation and, and offer an invitation. They're like, yeah, no, I would like to bleep. It's like, what? how did that happen? It's all about the Spirit of God working so, if you're here today, and your reason for not sharing your faith is that you don't feel like you could change somebody, I want you to hear this rebuke. Not to be, not to be ugly, but the rebuke is that that is arrogant. It's arrogance. It's you're you're worried about you. You're not worried about God, and you're not worried about that lost person. It's arrogance. Humble yourself, and say, God, do what you will. I'll be your messenger. I like how Paul says it concerning um, what we share in First Corinthians one twenty-one. He says, "For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe." Verse twenty-two. For Jews demanded a sign, and Greeks um, to seek wisdom. But we preached Christ crucified. Paul wasn't worried about answering everything they were looking for. He wasn't worried about giving every defense, even though he's the one that says, be ready with a defense. He wasn't worried about it. He was worried about preaching Christ crucified, because that's what had the power to change. We have to keep the main thing the main thing. But finally, let's look at our last part of our passage. And we see that the Word of God creates mature Christians. Verses 1 through 2. It says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants longing for pure spiritual milk, that by it you might grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, uh, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, they all stand in total opposition to the command of holiness and to the command of love. Verse 22 celebrates those who walk in holiness with love and sincerity and a pure heart. And the danger of Christians walking in deceit and hypocrisy is that these are the very attitudes that suck the life out of Christian fellowship. And what I mean is, when we've all done it, when we're trying to keep that facade up of godliness and spirituality, like we've got our families and our lives all together, and we're not willing to show anybody a chink in our armor, when we, we, we strive to create these seemingly impressive Christ, Christianity, when we do that, we kill Christian community because what we, we start competing to look holy instead of actually being holy. People who need help, what they'll do is, whenever they see us acting this way, they'll start the competition as well, trying to keep up with the Joneses. And they'll, what will be produced in them is some sort of plastic, not real Christianity. Instead of finding healing and transformation and maturity, and and instead of all of us collectively being about the work of the kingdom. And we've all been a part of churches like this, haven't we? You know how you know that you've been a part of it? It's whenever you've done the thing. Like I've done it. I I and I'll probably do it this week to somebody where where I'm I don't want to answer the question. I don't want to I don't want to be vulnerable. And so what I do is I just act like I got it together. That's fake. That that sucks. The 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 life-giving nature of the word out of the body. This fakeness and the spiritual one-upmanship must die or true loving Christianity, true loving community will never prosper. The kind of community that will change this community. This fakeness preaches that you have Jesus out of choice and not out of necessity. What I mean choice, not necessity, like I need Jesus or I'm going to hell. This fakeness says, I kind of got it together, but I like Jesus too. I, I can do this on my, own, on my own, but I love Jesus. And here's the thing. If, if you don't really struggle, if you don't really see yourself in sin, you don't need Jesus. What you're really saying is, I'm my own savior because I'm lacking in nothing. If you aren't flawed and you can't be broken, what do you need? Hypothetical sinners have a hypothetical savior. But when you're real about your sin, when you see yourself as a real sinner, there is a real savior ready to embrace you with open arms. We're flawed. We're broken people in desperate need of a savior. Let's quit pretending like we have it together. On this side of the cross, we still need Jesus. And for those people on that side of the cross, we need to show them that we still need Jesus. For uh, for our brothers and sisters on this side of the cross, who are believers too, they're struggling. You know how you know they're struggling because you're struggling too. And they need to know that we are a broken people in need of a Savior and in need of love and the body of Christ to come along so that we can walk in the victory that is promised in this life. Jesus is not our sidekick. Jesus is our Savior. He's the one that conquers our problems. Look at verse 2. Like newborn infants longing for pure spiritual milk that you might grow up in the salvation, if indeed you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. Don't don't get this spiritual milk confused with what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians uh, 2, uh, 3 2, where he's rebuking them for not being on the what well, for still being on milk when they should be on different person, different illustration. The milk here is is the the word of God that brings maturity. So my, I, I desperately want to see you grow in maturity, so we've got to talk about how you get in the Word. And the last things I want to tell you is there's no growth without being in the Word and being in prayer. And many of us find ourselves stagnated because we've substituted a uh, devotional for the Bible. And devotionals are great. Morning by morning, lovely. Lovely. There's all sorts of good, but those are not to stand as your primary diet. That's more like brownies. Like, brownies are yummy, but if you live off brownies, you're going to be unhealthy. And your argument might be like, well, I don't get anything when I read. When does a baby become an adult? Like, I've been watching the high school football. Like, when do those little, they go from junior high guys with, like, itty-bitty, no shoulders, to, like, look like gladiators. When does that happen? I don't know. It happens over time with nutrients. Yeah, you you may not get what you're reading. That's fine. It's okay. Just keep reading because you didn't know what you were doing when you were infant drinking milk either. Just keep doing it. Just keep keep building those blocks and then all of a sudden you're going to find maturity. So where do you start? Um start in the gospel, start in Genesis 1. Just, just start. It's kind of like, uh, you know, a lot of people don't start working out because it's, where do I start? And they, they, it's like, well, I can't do 78 pull-ups or uh, one of those gladiator runs, so I'm out. Just start. Just start. And, you know, there's all sorts of things that are good you know, find some sermons, find some podcasts, find, find some things that are, are teaching the pure spiritual milk, but do not negate your time in the word because that's where the Holy Spirit is going to do work in you. So that's, that's my call to the church. It's simple today. Walk in love and be in the word. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be standing right here. I'd love to have a conversation. I'm not a used car salesman. I'm not going to try to talk you into it. I'm just going to tell you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But I'm very grateful for Brandon and the worship team. I don't know that they, any of them have heard this song, but I asked Brandon this week that we would end with an anthem called They Will Know We Were Christians By Our Love. And as you sing this, Sing it to God and sing it to one another, declaring unity and love. If you will, bow your heads with me.